In our Bible reading this morning, I want to read from Romans 8, 1 and 2, and then verses 12 to 18. It's a chapter entitled Life Through the Spirit, uh, but we begin with these very famous uh, and well-known words of Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. Hear God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you have received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Let us pray. Father, I pray that these words of Scripture may live for us today, that your Holy Spirit would take hold of what we have been reading and that you would communicate with us in a way that is transformative and life-changing. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Orangefield is a congregation that I've often said is somewhat iconoclastic. If you don't know what that means, it simply means uh, we often take people down a peg or two. And I remember after a holiday preaching one Sunday morning, and uh, a lady shook hands with me at the door, and she said, Are you the minister? And I said, Yes, indeed, I've been on holiday the past two weeks. She said, We joined last week because the man who was preaching was very good. (laughs) Uh, And that man sitting back there, Billy Bernison, I don't know if I ever told you that, Bernie, but Bernie had taken a morning service. And not only had she joined, but another family had joined, and they lasted a year and went somewhere else. (laughs) Uh, And there are some people here, not least my dear wife, can you imagine poor Barbara? Barbara's put up not only with 32 years of sermons, but another four in Tyrone and another three in Lisburn. So that's 39 years of sermons. What an amazing woman to put up with all that. Uh, I often wonder why she's asleep, but, uh, it's, uh, uh, but it's, it's an amazing roller coaster. And um, this evening we have a praise service, and rather than me preach, there'll be four uh, video clips of testimony from church members, uh, from uh, people. Ruby and Eric Brunton. Ruby was the first person to come uh, to faith after I came to Orangefield 32 years ago. Sharon Shaw, who began her journey to faith just walking through the door of the church and felt she met God's love. Uh, We have Ben and Lucy McMeekin, brothers and brother and sister, who've grown up in the church and journeyed with us all their lives. They've known no other uh, minister but me and associates. Uh, And Johnny and Naomi Campbell, 
uh, young couple. I've baptized them both. I've married them uh, and seen Johnny ordained as an elder. Uh, and, and I just love that tonight we'll have some of my very favorite songs and the opportunity of hearing uh, through video testimony of the journey that people have made. I know it's going to be a lovely sunny afternoon, but if you can make it out tonight, uh, that would be great. Then next Sunday morning, uh, my last service here, uh, uh, and you know, I, I'm beginning to feel it's a really good idea that I'm not preaching. Uh, and we've got the three Kenners, myself, Ken Yule, and Ken Clark, Bishop Fanta, as, as Ken Clark is known. Uh, Ken's gonna, Ken Yule's going to come and say something to the church uh, Ken Clark's going to come and say something about Barbara and me, maybe encourage you to pray for us. I'm going to show, instead of speaking, a short DVD, and you will need boxes of tissues, uh, I guarantee, because uh, uh, the, the DVD will, will challenge us and encourage us, uh, and then we, we'll hopefully bring uh, my official ministry here to an end uh, in that way. When I planned January to June services towards the end of last year, I was convinced that the Lord wanted me to preach on the glory of Christ and the cross, uh, and it seemed to me that that was so appropriate, and we finished that series at the end of last month. The question then arose in my mind as to what I should or could preach as my last sermon here as your minister. What do you say after 32 years of preaching uh, in this place? The answer was surprisingly easy, actually, but before I share what's on my heart, I want to say what a huge privilege it's been to occupy the pulpit in this church, or perhaps I should say lectern. I hope you may feel I have preached the whole counsel of God and been faithful to the Scriptures and sensitive to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. You are a responsible and thoughtful church, and for me there's been no greater honor than to have been your minister and to be that minister of word and sacrament that brings to you the word of God. And I've had the encouragement of a great attendance over the many years. God has been good, and he is good all the time, and he will be good to you in the future. I keep saying to people, after I've gone, you can get a proper minister, but who knows? I felt for this morning that God was calling me to preach about those things that are supremely important to your faith and mine. Uh, and maybe I'm more of a Presbyterian than I think I am because I feel that there were three things that God laid on my heart. Forgiven, adopted, heir. Let's look at that first one. I am forgiven. Romans 8 verses 1 and 2. Let me repeat those verses if I may. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who have put their trust into Jesus, who have become related to him, connected with him. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I've often wondered about that phrase, no condemnation, because if you're like me, sometimes when I mess up and I file up and, I, and I, I have to come back to God and say, I'm sorry for that sin, sometimes I carry it with me uh, and, I, and I hold on to it and I hold on to how on earth can God ever forgive me? And yet we, we used to sing and we still do at times the hymn that has the line, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. And it's an amazing freedom that we have. And whilst Paul does not use the word forgiven in these verses, he speaks of that lack of condemnation from God saying, 
that the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. But how can God forgive my sins? I know that we could all answer probably that we need to repent or turn away from our sin, that we need to confess our sins to God, bring them to the cross and leave them at the foot of a cross uh, and, and trust in God for forgiveness. And I'm sure that that's an understanding that's a given here. But here's the thing. Outwardly, you may think I'm an okay Christian, but inwardly, I know of the failures and the struggles, the times I've let God down through wrong attitudes, wrong actions, wrong speaking, leaving undone much of what I knew should have done, been done. So I guess I am that person that maybe you have a particular view of, but I know before God I'm a sinner, but I know I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God and the power of God's love and forgiveness. And so this morning I want to say, I know I am loved. I hope you do too. For the cross is the proof of that love. I I was so challenged. Uh, I shared with you many years ago that I went through a period of uh, depression uh, in the early part of my uh, 20s. Uh, and uh, to this day, I'm not quite sure it brought, brought me out of it, but it was like a, a fog that uh, eventually I looked back and the fog was in the past and it disappeared. But through that time of depression and doubt, someone said to me, substitute your name in John 3:16 for God so loved the world. Uh, and so it became for me a very big reality. God so loved Ken. God so loved you that he gave his only son, that if Ken believed, if you believed into Christ, you would be forgiven uh, and have eternal life. So I know I'm loved, and the cross is proof of that, and I hope you know that too. I know that my forgiveness is a gift. Uh, uh, On this Father's Day, maybe Many people have been handing out cards or gifts to their fathers if their fathers are still around. And we we love gifts on Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, birthdays, and all the rest of it. But I know that my forgiveness is a gift of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 to 10. And this is what we were singing about earlier. For it is by grace that you are saved. God's undeserved favor towards us. Grace that you're saved through faith, putting our trust in Christ. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, free, unmerited, total gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. The Bible tells us our salvation is a gift. And a gift is no use if it sits on the table or on a chair or on the floor and isn't opened and used. It's God's gift to you and to me. And then I'm reminded that God promises forgiveness. I don't understand how he can, but he promises forgiveness. Look at Isaiah 43 and verse 25. Here is a picture of a society in those days where people didn't have pens and papers to write on. The the very few might have had papyrus and so forth, but most people had a kind of wax tablet, 
and when the wax tablet was full uh, of writing and you wanted to start something new, you just blotted over it and smoothed it out and started again. And this is the imagery that God uh, uses in his word, Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I. Why is that important? It's because God is saying, this is God speaking. This is the eternal God. This is almighty God, holy God, just God. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Wow! How can God say that? He blots out our transgressions for his own sake and remembers your sins no more. What an amazing God we have. And quoting from Jeremiah, uh, the writer of Hebrews says something very similar in uh, verse 12 uh, of chapter 8, Hebrews 8 and 12. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. So God has promised my forgiveness. He gives it as a gift, and I know I'm loved because of the cross. But what does being forgiven actually mean? Recently, my Bible reading notes were from Romans uh, 6, and I wonder if I am uh, made to quote Graham Cray writing in Encounter uh, and an Encounter with God uh, series. This is what he writes. We are not merely forgiven or justified. We're not merely forgiven through Christ. But from the moment of our entry into discipleship, we undergo, and this is the important bit, we undergo a fundamental change of spiritual location. We used to be an Adam, not so much individual acts of wrongdoing, but an enslaving power controlling what we did with our bodies. Uh, Romans 6 and verse 6, I think, tells us that. Uh, for Paul writes there, we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So we're change from that location of being slaves to sin. Uh, In that location, sin was inevitable, but now we've been baptized into Christ, and we're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. Romans 6 and verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So Christian discipleship, writes Graham Cray, is first a matter of location, Grace not only forgives, it transforms. Our physical location, with all its pressures, may not have changed, but we are not where we used to be. The joy of forgiveness is that we now live in a new dimension, no longer in the location of the old life, no longer in sin, but in Christ Jesus. Therefore, when you and I sin, it's no longer the case that we do so because we're hopelessly enslaved and without hope of escape from sin. But rather, we sin because we choose to. In individual actions, we choose for those things to stop saying yes to the Jesus way in which we now live, and we revert to the old life, the old way. But let me push this concept of forgiveness a little bit more. I have often preached And I have repeated it often because I think it is so vital for us as a Christian church. I've often preached that forgiven people should be forgiving. And I want to repeat that point, but illustrate it by telling a true story. You may never have heard of an American lady called Mary Johnson. 
1993, her only son was shot dead by a man called O'Shea Israel during an argument at a party. Her initial reaction was that she wanted her son's murderer to pay, and indeed he served 17 and a half years of a 25 and a half year sentence. When he was released from jail, O'Shea Israel moved right next door to Mary Johnson. But this was not an accident, nor was it an intention of him to rub things in her face. It was with the blessing of Mary in a remarkable act of mercy. A few years prior to his release, Mary was so overcome by the conviction that she should forgive O'Shea Israel that she set out to do so in a course of meetings with him. After time, she was not only able to forgive him, but also help him upon release from prison, hence finding the home next door to herself in which he could live. Mary gives God the glory for her ability to forgive such a tragedy, and she said this, and this is what we need to learn. And I quote, Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about the other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's just for me. I am forgiven. I don't know how God should love me so much, but he does, and he loves you so much, and he forgives you. And you and I who are forgiven, therefore, must learn to forgive those who sin against us. That's the hope of the gospel. And here's what I believe. We are never more fully human than when we both receive God's forgiveness and offer that forgiveness to others. I'm forgiven. The second thing that is really important to me is this. I am adopted. Look again, if you would, with me at Romans 8 and verses 14 to 16. Uh, as we read these, because those, uh, these who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again uh, in fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So here's the thing. Being a Christian is being transformed from being slaves to sin to being children of God and members of his household. A slave has no rights, no place in the family, no personal means of escape. But being forgiven, as I said a few moments ago, moves our location from being without status, without family, without freedom, into the status of being God's children, into the freedom from condemnation and fear, and into the family of God. And God's own children, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are those who the Spirit enables us to witness in our hearts that God is our precious Father. Adoption in the first century in which Paul wrote and lived was a very forward-looking thing. If a Roman couple had children of their own and then adopted a child, he or she became in law an equal member of the family with their other children. And that, I guess, was in the back of Paul's mind when he speaks of us being adopted through the Spirit of Jesus into the family of God. 
So Roman adoption was a wonderful thing. I, I, I used to hate sports at school. Uh, I, I was the skinny boy that the rugby team put on the, the wings because I could run a wee bit fast, but I certainly wasn't heavy enough for the scrum. <laughs> it's changed now. Uh, but one of the things that I, I used to hate was uh, the, the, the sports teacher would sometimes say, right, we're going to have two teams to play this game, or whatever it was, and they'd choose uh, two people to lead the teams and then say to them, you call out the people that you want in your team. And I used to hate that. You'd stand there saying, oh, please don't let me be the last person chosen. Nobody wanted to be the last. Uh, and if you were one of the first to be chosen, that was great. Uh, and then you stood with the chosen ones over there, looking at the diminishing crowd of, of, of we lads, and, and you're saying, <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm glad I'm in the, in the chosen one. I used to hate that in school. We pitied the child who was chosen last. But the good news is this. God chooses us, not just to be in his team, but to be in his family. And he doesn't care about the level of our intellectual or emotional capacities. He doesn't care about the extent of our physical capabilities. He doesn't care about our beauty or lack of it. He doesn't care about the level of our achievements or lack of them. He's not impressed by our money, our homes, our possessions, or anything, in fact. Because the fact is, he loves us because he made us. And he loves us because he is love. God is love. Hey, listen, let's not forget. When we say God is love, we're not just saying He's loving and He's kind and compassionate. He is love in its essence. In all that that means, He is pure love in His character and in His being. And He loves us because no matter who we are or what state our lives are in, we have been made in His image. And we're so precious to Him that He planned our salvation, our adoption into His family from the beginning of time. In fact, Jesus put it this way in one of my favorite scriptures, and I, I've loved the, the luxury and the privilege of preaching through my favorite parts of the Bible in John's gospel. But listen again with what Jesus said in very significant words in John 14 and uh, verse 23. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And I love this we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, being adopted into God's family, there's no half measures from God. God says that when we come to Jesus and say, please forgive me, Lord, let me receive your gift of salvation. Jesus says, it's, it's not just the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives. It's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We will come to him, and we will make our home with him. I used to refuse to go into my daughter's bedroom. Uh, it was really because there was no floor space to walk on. Uh, it, it wasn't anything to do with relationship. It was just you, you looked and what, what you saw, you just closed the door and let it be. Uh, I, and uh, when I think of, of God and, and, and what he must think of, of me and my life, and what, 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 would you, what would you do if God said, I'm going to your home after lunch? What would you clear up or tidy up and tidy away? Uh, would you be a bit worried? 
And Jesus says, if you trust me and obey me, I will come with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the triune God will come and live in your life because you will be part of my family and I'll make my home with you. I'm a forgiven sinner. I'm an adopted child of God in the family of God. And finally, I am an heir. Well, what it is to be an heir. Uh, It's an amazing thing if someone says to you, I'm leaving you a house or a car or a fortune or whatever it is. What an amazing thing to be an heir and to know that that inheritance is coming your way. Look at Romans 8 and verse 17, uh, if you would, with me uh, as we we come uh, to a close soon. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. By the way, those verses from Romans, uh, do you know that they are so uh, full of implications for understanding the Trinity? Some people say the Trinity is not in Scripture. Don't believe it for a moment because the verses we've read talk of Jesus and the Spirit of God and the Father. Uh, So we're heirs of God, God's treasured possession. And he says, you are my heir. Co-heirs with Christ. What does that mean? We will share in his glory, treasured possession. Hope the bowling folks will forgive me for repeating something I said last Sunday night. But uh, one of my last outings at the bowls, I won a prize. I've never won a prize since. The, the last prize I won, well, I won prizes at Theological College, but do you know that I, I remember the prize in school, the walk of shame, the boy who tried hardest, didn't actually achieve anything, just tried hard. You had to walk up and take your prize. But anyway, I got, I got this wonderful prize from the Bowles. Uh, it was a, a big party bag, you know, really about, about that size. You, you'd think there's something very substantial in it. It was all sparkly. It was taped over at the top. And I said to them, oh, thank you so much. I'll bring this home and I'll open up with my wife. And I walked home with my little bag, you know, with a handle and the sparkly nature and the big party bag. And I thought, wow, I wonder what it is. And together I opened it with my wife. And there at the very bottom of the bag was a pair of socks. <laughs> and I'm a size nine and they were a size six. Uh, and the price was still on them, £1.99. Uh, when I complained about that to Bill George, he said, he says, you're very fortunate that the next prize was a weekend in Donegadee. <laughs> but it speaks to me of God's treasured possession. We may look at the big bag of our lives and think that our lives are like that little pair of socks at the bottom of the bag. And they're not up to much. But God looks at you and says, you are my treasured possession. I love you. I've adopted you into my family. You're my heir with Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, risen at the right hand of God on high. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And God says, you're so precious to me. If you're at church on Sunday the 28th of May in the morning, I spoke of Jesus, the judge, separating the sheep. Hard things. Uh, 
Because, you see, the truth is that not everybody's going to heaven. The truth is that not everybody will be saved. And so we spoke of that hard talk of the separation of the sheep on one side and the goats on the one side and the other side, and that those who are not Christ's will be lost for eternity, whatever that means. And we go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 and uh, verse 34, because these are the words of commendation. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. What is our inheritance? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Have you ever thought that you have an inheritance in glory? Have you ever thought that all the pressure Precious treasures of God's kingdom are yours and mine in Christ. And uh, here's, here's something you may not have thought of. Do you know that Christian people will one day judge even angels? 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3, Paul writes this. He, he's talking about lawsuits amongst believers and how we should avoid that and and reconcile to one another. And he, he says, you know, we need to learn to make good judgments in this life and learn how to forgive and learn how to reconcile. Because he says, verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life? So we're going to judge angels. We'd better get used to making good judgments and making good reconciliation, making good the forgiven people being forgivers. But God says in his word, one day we will judge angels, co-heirs with Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Angels were not people created like us. Angels were not the people for whom Jesus came to the earth to die for. They are completely different from us. And and Paul says, uh, and this is the word of God, that one day we will judge even angels. Wow! Wow! We will share in the authority of Jesus even over the angels because we are co-heirs with Christ. Maybe we'll judge some of those fallen angels who led rebellion in heaven against God. Who knows? There is, of course, a caveat in Romans 8, 17 that we must share in the suffering of Christ, whatever form that suffering takes. And it seems to be more severe than for others. It's balanced by the great and wonderful hope of Romans 8, And verse 18, the last verse we read in our Bible reading this morning. And I I read this advisedly because I know the suffering that some of you have gone through. I know the hardships that many of you face right now. And yet Paul said this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Forgiven, adopted, heir of God and co-heir with Jesus Christ. That's what's important to me. And I hope I've preached this morning faithfully to God's Word. I hope I've preached without emotionalism. But I want to finish with this. It would not be me or my ministry, but I did not want to challenge those of you who have come to church over many years and maybe some a shorter period. And you've heard so many sermons, you've heard so many talks, and you've never yet committed your life to Jesus Christ. 
They've never yet bowed the knee to him and said, come into my life, Lord Jesus, and take control. Transform me from the inside out. Make me new. And I would not want to come to my last sermon without saying to you this morning, God's grace and his love and his forgiveness are for you right now, here this morning, in this place, as you sit. And as we pray together, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to make that response. Uh, And uh, if you wish to talk to me or prayer ministry team will be over in the corner, happy to pray with you about anything, even if it's uh, saying, I want to know how to become a Christian. But our little booklet that I've so often offered, you know, we got rid of hundreds and hundreds of these booklets over my 32 years here. Very rarely does anybody come back and say, I took the booklet and made a commitment to Christ. Sometimes people are embarrassed. Maybe people who've been coming to church for donkey's years and they're embarrassed to say, well, they became a Christian last week. But that this little booklet, why Jesus will tell you all you need to know, and that even has a little prayer that you can pray to invite Jesus into your life. And I'd like to maybe pray that prayer this morning if I, if I might do so in our prayers. Uh, and if it's applicable to you, then you don't have to say an amen out loud, but you can say an amen into your heart. And it would be lovely if you told me or others that you'd made this prayer your own this morning. Let's join together in prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege of preaching in this place. I thank you for the privilege of a thoughtful congregation who don't just take what they hear and accept it because I said, but they examine the Scriptures and seek to make sure that it's true. And I thank you for every encouragement that you have given over the years and for the responsiveness there has been. But this morning, Father, we've heard the most important things in my life is that I am forgiven, an adopted child of God, an heir of God, even an heir with Christ. And, oh God, if there are people here this morning and they have no experience of forgiveness or our adoption and acceptance into your family, no experience of the joy of knowing that there's a glorious future ahead, then I pray that this morning might be a time when such people would bow the knee to Jesus and ask him in. Indeed, it may be that the prayer in the little alpha book is for you this morning. Let me, let me just pray, uh, pray it and say it, and if it's something you want to make your prayer, then Say amen into your heart, or let some of us know that you've done this. The prayer goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. You might need just a moment to ask God's forgiveness and for anything in particular that's on your conscience. Maybe you just need to do that. The prayer continues, please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know that is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.